I was thinking about uh, just the anxiety and stress that many of us face, and some of that is normal. Um, Worrying about a job, dealing with a romantic breakup, figuring out how to pay bills, sometimes important life events. But do you know 40 million teenagers and adults and children suffer from some kind of anxiety in the United States? And we, we worry about things like, do I make enough money? Or can I go back to college? Or can I go to school? Can I go back to school? You got to make at least $12 an hour to feed a family of four, and that's before taxes in order to stay out of poverty, according to uh, the poverty line. And that's before government takes its share. And if you think about going back to school, there's a couple local community colleges that will only cost you about five grand a year. But if you'd like to go, say, to the U of M, that'll be $13,000 just for tuition. That's not books, that's not you know, room and board, that's not eating or anything like that. And if you're going to go to a private school, like say down to Northfield and go to St. Olaf College, nice school I've heard, $47,000 a year. And that, doesn't incl- that does include room and board, but that doesn't include like food or clothes. And I think you don't want to go to school hungry and naked and a computer. So um, that's, a, that's a lot of money. But even beyond that, you might say that, that college is a luxury. Uh, grad school is a luxury. And so then you think about, well, what about a home? There, there are far too many people that are, that are wondering if they can stay in their house. That's what their stress and anxiety is about. There's a, a social worker who told me the story of she walked into the Johnson's home in Lakeville she came into an empty main floor with nothing but a Bible on the counter. And then in the basement was one TV in the corner with an Xbox, no furniture, and one computer on the floor um, with no furniture, and one queen mattress in the, in the master bedroom and no other furniture. And the social worker was like, wow, you guys have already moved out. And they're like, no, we've sold everything else to keep our family in the house. It's in foreclosure, and we have 10 days before we move out. That is the reality that some of us face. And when we think about it, whether it's do, do I make enough money or, or can I keep my house or can I go back to school, what are we really looking for in these situations? I think most of us are looking for just a little bit of security. Not necessarily like I need to be comfortable, but just I'd like some security in my life. And when we don't feel secure, we get anxious, we worry, we, you know, we have fear well up, we get stressed out. And yet I believe, and maybe you do too, I believe that Jesus didn't want that for our lives. He didn't come to say that, you know, if you follow me, you will live a burnt up, stressed out, overwhelmed life. No, he said, my, my burdens are are easy. My, my teachings are, are light. And, and when he came, he said, if you don't know this, this verse, I say it a lot. Um, I hope you learn it. It's from Luke chapter 4. It's when Jesus starts his ministry and he says that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And he has anointed me to preach the good news or to tell this message of good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus was about. That's what I think his ministry is still about. 
He wants this overflowing, abundant, joyful life filled with love and generosity and prosperity. And yet, for most of the people that were listening to Jesus, they weren't thinking about joy and prosperity. They were actually thinking about where they were going to get their next meal. They were thinking about when the Roman government was going to raise taxes because they couldn't do anything about that. Most of them only had one spare outfit. And it's to that world that he is, that he is trying to speak hope and life into. They didn't have a super target. They didn't have a Cub Foods. They didn't have refrigerators. So they couldn't keep things very long. The only retirement plan, if you will, they had was the land. If they had the land, the land was their 401k, the land was precious. And it's to those types of people that he is speaking. And so as we read that, I want you to think about those people. But I want you to also think about our world. Because we have refrigerators, most of us. We have a Cub Foods down the road or Super Target, if you prefer, um, we probably have more than one spare outfit. And, and so our anxiety doesn't come from those things. So then my question is, well, where does your anxiety, if you have some, where does that come from? I think, for most of us, it comes from money and material possessions. Money and material possessions. And I think this story that we're about to see from Hoarders explains it really well. I'm a pack rat, so to speak, and I collect things. I've been a collector my whole life. I mean, I've been doing that since I was a kid. Here's my baseball rats that uh, I've collected over the years. Billy Herman, Carlton Fisk, Tom Seaver, Willie Mays. Old magazines. This is a Life magazine, 1944. I have a whole series of those. This is like the den in the TV room. It's a little bit congested, as you can see. Got a lot of stuff in here. And I come back here to watch TV and read. And this is my little chair here in the midst of all this. Hard to believe at one time this was clean. He's taken a very large interest in artwork and not in any particular era or artist, just everything that you could consider art he's bought. My art collection uh, is quite extensive in the sense that I have well over a thousand paintings. I'm sure some of it's worth nothing. But I'm sure he spent a lot of money on it. I know that. Dominic is a successful lawyer. And at 60 years old, he should be looking forward to a comfortable retirement. But right now, he's struggling just to pay the bills. I'd like to retire sometime in the near future. And I'd like to retire comfortable. Uh, It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. In addition to his home, Dominic spends $1,400 a month renting three storage spaces that hold the rest of his collection. Yeah, it's definitely had an effect financially. I'm not going to deny that fact. 
I know that he can't wash dishes in the sink because there's no faucet there. I know that he can't wash clothes in his own home because the washer and dryer are sitting out front. His life is in jeopardy, like health-wise and mentally. And he, he has chosen to live in this mess. My fear is that my father will die in his house, surrounded by all his stuff. In one story, Jesus hits people like Dominic, and he hits people that don't know where their next meal is going to come from. It's from Luke chapter 12. Verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge and arbiter or divider between you? And then he said, Watch out. Be on guard for all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And then he told this parable, the ground or the land of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and I will store my surplus grain. And then I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, on this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and body more than clothes. Can we pray? God, thank you for your word, for this story. Um, Teach us what you need for us to hear today. We all come from different places. We're all... um, Some of us are tired, some of us have a lot, some of us have a little. What, what are you speaking to us about our, our hope, our joy, potentially our captivity, and, and our freedom today? Amen. So as I see it, somebody comes to Jesus, it's probably the younger brother, who says, hey, you've got to divide this with us. Because see, the older brother in Jesus' time, in the Jewish culture, the older brother got a double proportion of stuff, either land or money or inheritance. And so what that means is if, if there's two brothers, the older brother gets two-thirds, the younger brother gets one-third. doesn't seem very fair. And I'm an older brother, so I would say, ah, it's okay. But, um, but sometimes the older brother just gets everything. And so the younger brother's coming and saying, hey, Jesus, can you, can you be fair? Or can you be generous in this situation? I want my brother to split this more evenly. And, and what, I, what I hate about, I don't hate a lot about Jesus. What frustrates me about Jesus is that when he gets asked a question, he doesn't answer it. 
he gives another question and then he tells a story. Usually a story that doesn't make sense to the person, they walk away scratching their head. And that's exactly what he did here. He says, who made me divider between you as you asked to divide this inheritance? And so now be on guard, on guard of all kinds of greed. See this land produced an abundant harvest. The rich man did not produce this harvest. Maybe you think it's just a matter of words, but I think it's kind of a big deal because, because when we think about our lives, how often do we tie ourselves to our work? I produce that result. I deserved that bonus. I got that promotion. No, the land produced the harvest. When we think we produce something, we think we're in control of it. And when we think we're in control of it, often what we think comes from it is ours. Money, or in this case, a crop or a harvest. And if it's what we want is security, which is just kind of, I think, part of who we are, then this man thought security and control could be found in trying to control his wealth, trying to get an abundance of stuff. Isn't it great that we've evolved in 2,000 years, that we're such more enlightened creatures than that, that we don't ever, we would never think that control or accumulation of wealth would give us security, right? No, he thought it was his result and that he thought control and accumulation would bring security. So what did he do? He decided to tear down his existing barns and build bigger barns. And so if I picture the scene in Jerusalem or around this area, the land is scarce. It's kind of like trying to live in New York. Okay? Land is a premium. And so he can't just add barns to his existing barns. In order for him to have more room, he has to tear down what he has and build up more. And so so then when he does that, then now I can sit back. Now I have more than enough. Now I'll have security because I found it in abundance. I can eat, drink, and be merry. A phrase that's three, four thousand years old that just means I can sit back and relax. I can enjoy life as much as possible. I can consume my stuff and it's okay. And then I won't have to worry about what I'll eat or what I'll drink or what I'll wear because I'll be in control. Now, you and I may not have a house like Dominic, although if I, had a, if I didn't have my wife, I probably would look more like Dominic than I'd like because I think, you know, saving stuff is really important. It could be valuable one day. You know, I could have a son that would play with my G.I. Joes or my Star Wars or my baseball cards or my dad's baseball cards and so I, I have to hear this myself. But, but we may not have a house like Dominic. But in our Western society, Christian or not, our primary pursuits, have they not been security and happiness? And we think they'll be found in money and material possessions. I think a lot of us do. And yet, the rich man was called a fool by God. And and very very few times in scripture does God actually speak. Okay? It's not all that often. 
But in this case, Jesus is saying God spoke. And even fewer times than that, does God call anyone a fool? God doesn't do that very often. And yet here, Jesus really wants to drive this point home. That he's a fool because he thought he was in control. Even his soul was on loan from God. Think about that. This very night, the scripture says, your soul will be demanded from you. Why? Because God is the owner, ultimately, of our soul. I mean, this, this story is, is absolutely, uh, positively, plainly what not to do. It's someone who thinks they're going to find life in money and material possessions and they missed it because those things are not life. And then when his soul was demanded, who would get his stuff? This does not say that money is bad. This does not say that possessions are bad. If you have a lot of stuff, I'm not saying you're going to hell. If you cling to your stuff, if you hold it so tightly that you miss life, that is what Jesus is warning about, and that is what I would echo. He's not saying that celebrating is okay. Jesus went to a good party. Jesus knew how to throw a good party. Jesus knew how to throw throw a good party. Yes, I'm good at English. Mm -hmm. Jesus knew how to party. Celebrating is okay. This guy wasn't saying, I'm just going to celebrate. He was saying, I'm going to sit back and relax because now I'm in control. That's again what Jesus, I think what Jesus was arguing about. See, when we cling to stuff, really what we're doing is we're worrying about it. It's causing anxiety in us. It's, it's, It's the story too many times that I've heard of of families whose, whose parents have a, got a lake cabin. Um, this, is a, this is a Minnesota story. And the families who get a lake cabin and then they give it to their children and they have like three children, say. So they're like, oh, you each get it a third at the time. And then I have these people coming to me saying, this is disastrous. You know, because one son is saying, well, my wife's parents have a cabin and they live there, so they take care of it. So we don't even, we don't want to go to the other one because it's just too much work to take care of. And the other one's saying, well, I'm just too busy. I can't even go there, so I can't even take care of it. And the other one is saying, well, we kind of like to use it, but we have to do all the work. We don't even like this and we can't afford it if the other two sold out for us. So, ah! And family after family after family is divided over just stuff. And, And the cabin wasn't a bad thing. The parents were trying to do a nice thing, but but it consumes us. And so Jesus is saying, you need to be free from the captivity. He's saying, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Now there's a couple different kinds of greed. I don't know if you caught them in the story. One is the greed of the younger brother, who's like, give me more stuff. But the other is the greed of the older brother who has the stuff, who's saying, no, 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 I want to keep this stuff. I don't know which one you fall into, or maybe it's both. But those are the kinds of greed that Jesus is talking about here. And any person, I think, of any age and any socioeconomic status 
can fall into the trap of greed. See, I don't think the real issue is money or material, material possessions. I think the real issue is the focus of our lives. Jesus is warning and challenging us to go so much deeper than an episode of hoarders. He's warning us to go so much deeper than, than crops or bigger barns or um, flowers and birds that we're going to read about in a second. This was not a message about just living a stress-less, happy life. Jesus was challenging his followers to the very core of their being because this was the center of his world and it's hard. It's really tough stuff. And I think the question that we have to face right now is, are, what are you focused on? Are you too focused on Stuff on money or material possessions. And so if you feel trapped by that, what, what is the remedy? I mean, how do we find freedom from that captivity? How do we stay out of the trap of greed, of more and more and more that surrounds us so much? My phone is two years old, and now I've, I've, I'm free of the plan. I'm free of the prison, of the contract, right? right? And, and now I'm getting advertisement after advertisement of, oh, you need to upgrade. Dude, your phone is a dinosaur. It's ancient. I'm like, the screen still works. I mean, yeah, it's a little slow, but, but I, I don't want to go back on a contract. I, I want to be free of the contract. And yet... You know, after about the 16th message, I'm like, my phone is kind of old. You know, it is kind of slow. I upgraded the software, and man, it takes seven seconds to connect to the internet from anywhere in the world now, instead of just two. I think I do. How do we get out of this? Jesus tells us plainly in the next few verses. He says, yeah, first of all, like, don't worry. Which, again, seems kind of counterintuitive, like, Hey, you're worried about this stuff? Just stop worrying. Yeah, don't worry about this. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, verse 22, or what you'll wear, because life is way more about, way more than just your body and your food and your clothes. Because consider these birds that no one likes, the ravens. They're kind of like blackbirds and crows. People kick them when nobody's looking. Um, Consider them, because they don't reap or sow or work. They don't have a place to live, and yet God takes care of them. He feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds that God kicks? My version. Um, And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Man, let's not run over that one, because I don't know about you, but that one hits me way way too hard because I'm sitting at the stoplight and I'm like, I'm in the wrong lane. You know, this one's moving a lot faster and they're going and that person, you know, we should have just gone. We should have gone. You know, we're supposed to merge one at a time. It's the zipper thing. And so I should have raced down that left lane. And Michelle's like, um, Rob, do you realize that about you've taken six to nine months off your life in the last four minutes because you're worried about this? I know, but I can't stop. Or you go to the wrong checkout line. We'll just stop there. We'll come back to that another week. 
who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? No, instead you, like, you steal life away from yourself. Since you can't do this very little thing, why would you worry about the big stuff? Consider the wild flowers. They don't, they don't work, they don't labor, they don't spin, and yet the, the richest man in the world in all of history is this guy named Solomon, and not even he was dressed as good as the flowers of the field. And if, if God can figure out how to make the flowers look good, I bet he can figure out how to make you look good. So why do you worry about it? Oh, you of little faith. See, he puts these little jabs in there. So don't set your heart or or how I see that is don't be focused on what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear because because God knows, God your father, a good father if you've had one, knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and all the rest of the stuff will be given to you. Don't be afraid, little flock. See, this is where he goes from jabbing to caring. Who of you by adding a single hour by worrying? You of little faith. But then he, he pulls people back in. He said, no, no, you're part of my flock. Like, if I'm a shepherd, I'm caring for you. So you're my children. Don't be afraid, children. Your father wants to give you the kingdom. This is not something we have to work for. This is not something we have to strive for. This is not something we think we have to earn. He wants to give it to us. So, what should we do? If we're worried that we're trapped by all this stuff, probably the verse that that you don't want to hear, sell your possessions and give to the poor, Provide purses and wallets for yourselves that will not wear out. That's a treasure in heaven because no one can steal it. No one can destroy it. It won't rot or mold. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't really about flowers and birds in case you didn't know that. It's really about faith and obedience. It's about trusting God. If you want the kingdom, then we have to seek that first. If you want to do that, it's yes, reading the Bible is important. Yes, going to church is important. That's a part of it. But this piece that's really big that will help us to unclamp from grasping so tightly or being worried about falling into the trap of greed is to give. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Because it smacks us in the face of what we think will be the solution to our problems. We think that money will be the solution to our problems. We often say in our house, if only the student loan fairy would come and tap it and take it away, then we could really like, be extravagant in our generosity. Then we really could not worry about like, every single penny, but, but we don't. Or if only, maybe you say this, if only we just had a little bit more. If only we just had a little bit more, then, then we could like, actually have our spending and our and our income come together because we're spending more than we're making and and so we don't even know how to fathom what it means to sell our possessions and give to the poor because we're just so not there. 
but we think that money and stuff will be the solution. And Jesus warns us because he loves us, not because he needs our stuff. Because he says where our heart is, where our focus is, is what we treasure. And what we treasure is where our heart is, and where our heart is is what we worship. And Jesus wants us to worship the one true God. And so he says, therefore, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up for themselves and is not rich towards God. What kind of a, what does it look like for you? What's it look like for me to be rich towards God? I think God tells a story with our lives. We're going to hear a story um, from a lady named Chris. And she has a story with her own life. Hi, my name is Chris Zimmerman. And some of you don't know me, but I am Noah and Caleb Ropay's grandmother. And uh, Emily Lakedon's sister. And my husband, Alan, and I uh, live part-time in, in Florida and part-time in Minnesota. And we're actually on our way home from Florida right now to spend the summer in um, Minnesota, so um, that's why you're seeing this on tape. Uh, Rob asked me to tell you about my first experience with tithing. And um, I want to do that, but I want to tell you first of all that um, tithing is an act of obedience. Uh, God asks us all to walk in obedience to him. And everything belongs to God. There's nothing that we have that didn't, didn't come from him. And so he is asking us to give 10% back and we are to live on 90% and 10% goes to your home church or where you get your spiritual nourishment. And a lot of people argue that that is really not New Testament, that we are no longer uh, under the law and it is Old Testament. And their argument is that um, Jesus never talked about tithing. Um, there was nothing ever said about tithing in the New Testament. And um, I would challenge you to go back and read uh, in Matthew and Luke where Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. Actually, he was chastising them because he was telling them that they were so careful about following the law, yet there was nothing in their heart. There was no love for God, and there was no obedience for God, but they were so careful about following every minute detail of the law. And he said to them, and you tithe as you should. And Matthew and Luke both recorded that. And Jesus actually said, and you tithe as you should. So the argument is gone. Um, we are, God asks us all to walk in obedience and that is um, what uh, we are doing. And I wanna tell you about what happened to me because it was really exciting, my first experience with tithing. I, I was a new Christian, you know, very young, two young kids. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, not a lot of money, wasn't working, my husband was working, but uh, we were being told, you know, that God was asking us to do this, and we wanted to be obedient Christians, we wanted to follow everything to the letter, just because we wanted, uh, we wanted uh, to walk in obedience to God, and that was important to us, and this was something that he put, laid on our hearts. And so I can remember my, uh, this at the time, my husband came home with his paycheck every two weeks 
and we put enough money into the checking account to pay for our house payment and our, our bills and that kind of stuff and then the rest of it he brought home in cash okay so we had these piles of cash uh, and we took 10% off the top gross not net you know if you take a net 10% then you're saying that the government is more important to you than God so gross and um, anyway that that's what we were taught that's what we believe so 10% we took that money and it was cash believe me cash is hard to give up <laughs> at that time especially when you don't have a lot and uh, I think the family of four we were living on $25 a week uh, for groceries okay so I used to go to the grocery store with my calculator and I would make sure I didn't spend over $25 so so anyway we put aside the 10% for the tithe and grocery money and then uh, gas money and then a little bit of spending money um, kind of the Dave Ramsey thing way before Dave Ramsey you know our piles of money when there was no more piles of money that we didn't do anything and so uh, we decided to do this in January it just kind of all worked out that way and we lived as I said in northern Minnesota and um, you know six feet of snow 40 below and that's not even the wind chill wind chill 60 below it's cold and it's January and we are taking our first paycheck and we've got all this cash so we put it in a copper tea kettle and we kept it on top of the refrigerator my daughter still remembers this she was just a little girl when she saw this but anyway so we put that money in there and we bring it to church and um, we had lived in a two-story home that was heated by fuel oil and the tank was outside and um, it was in such bad shape the gauge didn't work on it so my husband had to go out there walk around in the deep snow and stick a broom handle into the um, uh, the fuel oil tank to see how much fuel oil was in there so the first week that we did this he came he did that and we were going to take our tithe in and he said oh there's this much fuel oil in the tank okay not a lot and it's 60 below and it's cold and we got a two-story house so we brought our tithe in uh, knowing that we were going to need fuel oil soon and um, two weeks came around he did we did the same thing with his paycheck he came home took our piles of cash believe me it's hard to give up cash it's a lot easier when you don't see that money because it's right there but we were faithful we wanted to walk in obedience and so we put that money in the tea kettle he went out in the snow again and checked the fuel oil gauge same amount we're just kind of looking at each other like wow this is really you know two weeks we've been using running that furnace and the same amount of fuel oil is still in there so we're not really sure what to expect so anyway we continue on and two weeks later his paycheck comes and he comes home with the cash and we put our ties our 10 percent in the copper tea kettle and bring it to church you know he goes out and he checks the fuel oil gauge same amount hasn't moved a bit i'm going are you sure you know maybe she'll back out there and check it you know and um, anyway it was the same amount and so this continued on we were just like amazed we weren't really sure what to think but we were tithing and we'd bring that cash to church and we were faithful with it and um, every two weeks the fuel oil never changed and our house was heated and we were warm and remember northern Minnesota is very very cold 40 below I mean you know it's just wind chills are just horrible I mean but anyway 
our house was warm and heated. And every time, every two weeks, same amount of fuel oil. So um, this continues on. March rolls around, and as many of you know, in northern Minnesota, it's still a lot of snow and still very cold up there. It's toward the end of March, and um, Heidi comes around. Our piles of money are set aside. We put the money in the copper tea kettle for our ties, and he walks out and checks the fuel oil, and he comes back. Is there this much in there? Doesn't even barely hit the bottom of the broom handle. I'm fine. <gasps> We're, you know, it's still March. It's northern Minnesota. We're gonna need heat for our house. Got two small kids. And um, so what are we gonna do? Hmm, you know, we got this cash, the ties, you know. We decided we're going to continue tithing. And that day, when we went out to get the mail, there was our tax return. And it was just enough money that we needed to fill up our fuel oil tank that lasted us into the next winter. And I have been a faithful tither ever since because that just was a miracle to me. It was like Jesus dividing the loaves of bread and he just kept dividing and the bread just kept coming and coming. And my, my husband at the time and I both, you know, are amazed at that miracle. And, you know, he would attest that. And even my daughter remembers it. And she was just little at the time, but it was like, whoa, every time he went out there, that fuel gauge never moved. And then one day it was down, but that was the day God was faithful and he provided for us. And um, that miracle showed me that, that we can trust him and that we can walk in obedience to him because he is faithful and he will meet our needs. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things are the things that we need to live. I, I loved Chris's story because it reminded me of, of Malachi where the prophet in the Old Testament says, hey, test me in this area. God doesn't ask us to test us and stuff, but he asks us to test us in this particular area of generosity. And this goes way beyond a percentage or a tithe. If we, I mean, if we were to give 10% and think that the other 90 is just mine and hold on to that, then we've missed it. If we do the right thing for the wrong reason, then we become religious Pharisees, okay, which is a fancy word for hypocrite, I think. If we do the right thing for the wrong reason, we still miss it. But Chris said something important. She said, God owns it all. Just like this story where Jesus said, the land produced a harvest, not, not the man. And God wants to answer prayer. He wants us to walk in faith and trust and obedience. And when we're generous... Wherever we're generous, this isn't like frustration needs your money. It's not what this is about. When we're generous, it frees us from the trap of greed and money and material possessions. Greed says, I have no place to store my crops, so what am I going to do? I know, I'll tear down my perfectly good barns and I'll build bigger barns. Where in your life is culture telling you to build bigger barns? Generosity says, what shall I do with my fortunes? Because I might fill up my existing barns, but I'm going to share the blessing. And if you think about the cross, as we've talked in this whole series about waking up to this new life, he's waking up to this new freedom. The cross, Jesus gave it all. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe comes in human form and dies a criminal's death probably naked 
on that cross, humiliated, could he have given anything else? And, and yet, some of us are trapped, not in gigantic sin, not in, in a hoarding mess, but we're just trapped in comfortable living. And some of us are so comfortable that it's really hard to trust God every day. And for, for you and me in that category, I think God is calling us to a reckless generosity. A reckless generosity that means we have to rely on God every day. That doing that will actually counteract and kill the greed and the anxiety and the fear because our faith increases and our trust increases and, and our God increases. And don't we want to see him big? Don't we want to see him sovereign in our lives? The God who, who longs to be our father and longs to give us the kingdom. As we sing the song, remember John three sixteen. for God gave his one and only son. God is the generous giver and he is the one who frees us from the trap.